Welcome to the Heart to Kill podcast, the official podcast of the Heart to Kill program, the world's leading program for driven individuals looking to gain direction and momentum, where we aim to break down the complex, multifaceted and holistic factors of human performance and optimization. Both on the program and on this podcast, we will be discussing and excavating everything pertaining to psychological resilience, physical robustness, and leading by example with discipline and tenacity to create a culture of winning, especially in the turbulent, frenetic, and high-tempo world of the ambitious individual. This is Mark, the creator, senior DS, and head coach of the Heart of Kill program. Let's get stuck straight into it. So, Lloyd, welcome to the Heart of Kill podcast. I always enjoy these types of podcasts, specifically because you and I have actually never met in person before. Like, we've had some to and fro's on Instagram, some pretty funny exchanges in the, in the DMs and that sort of shit. But obviously, it's the first time I'm actually meeting you in person. So, welcome to the, welcome to the studio, welcome to the podcast. Um, if you could start us off by tell us a little bit about yourself, mate. Tell us, tell us who you are, cool. what you do. Um, firstly, pleasure to meet you in person. Like I said, a big fan um, of your stuff. So I'm Lloyd Cooper. Uh, you might have heard of me of as the Yorkshire Gripper. Um, so rather than Ripper, my uh, my uh, particular interest is feet as opposed to uh, dead prostitutes. <laughs> um, so I'm a, I'm a jiu-jitsu black belt. Um, so I'm 16 years deep in Brazilian jiu-jitsu now. Um, so moved up through different belts, been fortunate enough to win a couple of decent comps, Europeans, ADCC um, UK a couple of times, and then done like a lot of like super fights as we call them in, in jiu-jitsu on things like Polaris Professional as well. So um, yeah, lots of jiu-jitsu. Um, I think my, probably my USP, my niche is that I've been able to hit, hit a decent level, mm. but I've still got, I've got a separate like corporate career. I haven't, I haven't sacrificed my day job or career yeah. goals while still performing to a decent level in uh, jiu-jitsu. Yeah, we'll definitely get into that because probably one of the most common things I see with guys getting into jiu-jitsu, you know, and not necessarily uh, a slur on them, and anyone listening to this will, will resonate with this, like you go to jiu-jitsu for the first time, you realize how fun, how fucking addictive it is. Next thing you know, you're training five times a week and you can't be asked to go home or get your fucking day job. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, maybe I should just retire and go full pro. Um, so yeah, really interesting to talk about that more moving forward. And also your psychology around the game, your psychology around competition and how to, to rise to that event of being in a competition match, which is unlike, you know, pretty much anything else in life. Um, and how you can get the best from that and also the transference into into everyday life, into everyday pressures and everyday scenarios as well. So how did you first get into Jiu-Jitsu, mate? What was it that, because 16 years ago, it was it was unheard of. It wasn't really a thing. How did you get into it? Yeah, you know, I think the funny story is um, at the time, I, I was like a little bit lost in, in direction terms. Mm. Um, I was working night shift at Morrison's, big up Morrison's <laughs> night shift. Um, and all I was doing, working night shift, Two hours of weights in the morning, mm. and my life was very, very boring. You know, and, and I remember at the time I spoke to one of the good buddies. I was smashing weights. And I was like, "Great, I just benched one twenty, and I'm seventy two kilos in weight." And he just went, "So?" <laughs> I was like, well, "What do you mean?" He's like, "So what? What does that mean?" Mm. And I was like, oh, "It's a good number." He was like, it "Doesn't mean anything." He went, "Come and do this class with me tonight." So, went along to the jiu-jitsu class, um, and I think I was like, "What, twenty one years old at the time? Good shape, like I said, bench one, you know one." 25 or something like that. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm hot shit. Mm. And this 14 year old pulled me to pieces, buddy. Um, mm. Genuinely, I, I'd never been as shocked or, I think what the realization was is the misconception of my own abilities. Mm. You know, I perceived I'm in fit, I'm fit, I'm strong, life's good, you know, mm. nobody can mess with me. And like I said, this young kid, skinny, um, triangled the life out of me, repeatedly armbarred me. And, and at the end, I was so frustrated in the role that he got me in a triangle and I was like, I'm just not gonna tap me. I'm, I'm, I'm too tough for this. Um, and I was seeing stars, my, my legs were tingling, and I tapped it the last moment right before going completely unconscious. So mm. just getting that level of a beat down 
um, in the first time I'd ever tried jiu-jitsu. And, like I said, and it, it was the, the complete realization that, I suppose for the first time in my life at 21 years old, that your perception is not always reality, you know what I mean? And yeah, I, it blew my mind away to the point where, you know, I suppose there's two reactions people have there. Mm. Number one is some people like, oh, I've just been destroyed. I don't want to do this ever again. And for me, it was like, it set the cogs turning on. I couldn't believe how he deconstructed me completely and, and you know methodically wrapped me up and stuff like that. I was like, I need to understand this because mm. you know this is a, a massive skill to be able to apply. So yeah, got started uh, all, 21 years old and got destroyed by a child. <laughs> Do you still know that 14 year old? Do you still know him? No, no, couldn't <laughs> never. I, you know what weirdly is, is how memories work. I can't remember the kid's face. I always think about this. What, what did he look like? And I can't remember. I remember him being a young guy um, and, and I just remember him pulling me to shreds. Just blocked him out. It's like, I think so. It's too painful to remember that. My, my, yeah, compartmentalized it. Ego can't take it, even even yeah. today. Yeah, and it, it's funny you mentioned the ego. I've done podcasts in the past talking about the ego, and uh, essentially its role is how we see ourselves and how we want the world to see us. So you know, as you said, you're strong. You're in great nick. Um, so in your mind, it's like, yeah, I'm fucking Tommy Tenman. Like I'm strong. No one can fuck with me. And then you get put in that environment where your ego is forced to face a reality of, oh, holy shit, we're not what we're putting out to the world. And then that's obviously on the continuum of growth mindedness. The fixed minded person is typically then, oh, well, that was uh, really insulting, really embarrassing. Therefore, I am an embarrassment. So I'm now going to avoid and disengage with that environment versus obviously yourself with a fantastic level of growth mindedness. If, okay, well, I want to get better at this because I want to beat up kids. Um, for want of a better phrase. Good job you didn't say beat off. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Could have gone down a very different fucking path. But yeah, I want to beat some kids up, as we all do. Um, but yeah, so then you start getting into jiu-jitsu. How long was it before you went to your, your first competition? Here's a funny story, actually. So I'm well known for doing a lot of competing, and it was probably later into jiu-jitsu that I really pushed the envelope on that. Um, probably I did my first comp after like six, eight months or something like that, and it was more of an exploration at that time. You know, I was just like dipping my toes in at white belt. I only competed a handful of times at white belt, and it was just kind of like just to see what happened. Mm. And actually, I can still remember those. They were in Manchester. Mm. So there's some comps called um, Ground Control, Sugden Centre on Oxford Road. They still have comps there to this day. Not the oh. same federation, but they still have... Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was there. And I remember first day. Now, here's a funny point. My first comp, I think I would play six or eight months in, and the first match, they called me out. I was on the mat, ready to go, got my uh, my shorts on. And I remember they, they, they kept calling the guy. Mm. And um, and it was like five minutes went by and it wasn't as organized back then. So it was just like, literally, I was on the mat waiting. No, now they'll roll somebody different on. Mm. And I remember like this shitty mindset started to creep in of, I hope he doesn't turn up. Mm. I hope I can win by default. And, you know, and and then eventually it was like, oh, it's me, it's me. And he, he ran on the mat and I, and I got a real bad sinking feeling. And so I was like, shit, now yeah. I've got to do the match. Um, you know, and it was... For the first minute, I was in this whole negative mindset of the match of like, oh God, this is, you know, I, I really, why do I want to put myself there? And I kind of got, you know, gone through those nervous motions that a lot of people face in, in competing. Mm. And it was only like when I started to push myself and then I got, I ignited that bit of a fire inside. And I was like, no, you know, you're here now, you know, you're, you're putting yourself um, to a standard. Let's let's check yourself against that standard. And then and then I really started to fight hard. And you know what? And first competitive match and I armbarred him pretty quickly. It was great. And it was, I think, from a very, very early point, I was trying to get my head into the the psychology of what happened, as opposed to a lot of people, it's just a passenger. Well, I think competing's a good idea. I'll just turn up and see what happens. Mm. And even then, when I was like 21 years old, I was still thinking, right, why did I start to get scared or nervous or hope that there was an easy way out of this? Mm. And, you know, 
I was fortunate to have found, you know, that bit of a dog inside that was like, no, come on, let's let's crack on and get after this. And and the outcome was good, you know what I mean? And so from the very first comp- competitive match in jiu-jitsu, I, I had this feeling of you can feel fear, mm. still do it and still perform anyway. And, and yeah. I got kind of addicted to that feeling almost. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Because actually, if you if you weren't feeling fear in that moment, which many people proclaim they don't, well, you'd either be like, um, <laughs> either be uh, emotionally numb or you're just full of shit. Like, you're just lying. Um, because obviously, fear is the only emotion that can actually center us. It can cause us to focus. So then you're, you're primarily focused on that and you're under fire and faster. Like, everything's happening that lets your body know you're ready and you're actually engaging in the closest we'll ever see to fucking like unarmed conflict, like a fight to the death. Um, obviously then it can spill over and become counterproductive. And, and we'll talk about that in a moment when people start to get over that excitation curve and they're mm. getting hyper excited. And then as a result, they just start to flap and, and we'll go from there. How do you how do you find, just as an overview, because I know a lot of people listen to this that are relatively new into jiu-jitsu, maybe between five years or less. How do you find competing a white belt versus then competing a, a black belt? What's the comparison like? I think it's probably, I think, the shift in, in me personally has become, unfortunately, more extrinsically motivated. I always try to fight that off. You know, in the early days, there's no pressure on you. You're just there for yourself. Um, in the modern world of social media and all that kind of stuff, I always fight to keep my motivations and the, my pressures internal. I want to mm-hmm. perform well for me. And a lot of my career has been just try to see how good I could get for me. Yeah. Whereas, you know, you, you throw things in like a social media following or sponsorships or even family members, it's easy to slip into the mindset of expectation to do to do X well. Mm. You know, you start you start to have these like narratives play out in your brain when you're not being strong that, oh, well, yeah, people see Lloyd as a good leg locker. He's, he's going to win by, you know, he's going to break people's legs and stuff like that. And you almost get to this negative self-talk if you're not strong and resolute with your mind, you know what I mean? So the, the shift has been that you there's almost this pull towards negativity or mm. not negativity, but almost an extrinsic motivator. Yeah. And it's, I guess I'm, I'm fortunate that I recognize that and I can like push those um, mindsets away. Um, and the thing is, I think in terms of practically different margin for errors, yeah. you know what I mean? If you lose a couple of points or you lose a transition in a black belt level, it's very, very difficult to, to recover. You know, you, there's a lot of um, statistics around those who are scoring the first points in a match or the first major transition, mm. it, uh, I think 75% on to win. Mm. Um, and I think there's a mental component to that as well. It's almost like, you know, we've all been there doing jujitsu or something. If something doesn't go right and work, it's like, ah, shit. Mm. And then you're trying to build back from that point. It's very difficult to overcome though uh, that little mental setback. So mm. there's some of the functional reasons. Um, and, I th- and I just think from... The difference between white and black belt mm. mindset is a factor. Mm. You know what I mean? Everybody's in shape. Mm. Everybody's got good technique. Everybody knows what your game is. So you need those edges where you can get them. And I think one that so many jiu-jitsu guys don't play with is, is mindset as well. Yeah, hundred percent. Because when you look at white belts competing, and I've been that white belt competing, it's just it's almost look. It's like two guys who are just gonna fucking death hold the fuck out of each other. <laughs> it's like that fucking scene in between us, you know, when they're getting a scrap and they're headlocking each other and fucking just open for the best. For you sure. give up? No, you give up. It, it's very very similar to that, and that's probably my experience with it. So really fascinating to hear that. And also your, your your moment about expectation. You know, when I've spoken to guys about how they feel about competing and and what it, the, mo- the pressure was in the moment, it's always coming from external expectation, and there's, there's a pressure that they've got to perform. They don't let their culture down. Don't let their their girlfriend down who's gone to watch them. Rather than like, I'm actually going to do well for me and how am I going to feel about it? So it's very, very um, different. And that, that's true in, in every domain as well. Like even people that are slamming extra weights on the bar, 
would you still be doing that if there wasn't a tripod set up and 100%. a camera in the fucking gym like to, to get that clout? And I actually did a podcast the other day and I, I spoke about this. It's really nice that you've touched on it. Would you still want to do it if no one could ever find out you were doing it? Like if, if there wasn't social media, if no one would ever know, like would you still want to do it? And it's a very good way to separate between like what's egoic and what's doing it for clout and what's doing it for like, I really want to do this. I align with it. I enjoy it. Yeah, it's difficult. Yeah, it's a challenge. Yeah, I might be afraid, but I, I want to do it because it's important to me. So it's really good to, to define and, and kind of separate. The, uh, I, there's a good little story I've got on this, actually. Mm -hmm. I've done, obviously, I travel doing a lot of seminars, get exposure to different gyms. And I always do Q&A at the mm -hmm. end. So oh, ask a lot of, you know, I, I open it for techniques. Mm -hmm. But actually, in a lot of instances, people ask me questions relating to more philosophy or mindset and stuff like that. And I was doing a seminar recently and there was an eight year old kid by description of the coach and the parent was, oh, he's a, you know, he's a wonder kid, he's a superstar. And he asked me a question and he was, um, how do you not feel nervous on competing? I was like, right, stop, mm. let's unpack that. You know, let's work backwards from that point. Why are you feeling nervous? And, and bearing in mind, he's like, um, because I, I, I want to win. Okay, mm. why do you want to win? Um, well people think that I should win. I was like, you know, why do people think you should win? Well, I'm good. And, you know, I think that my team expect me to go out and win gold medals. Hmm. And I was like, right, stop there. And he was, you know, only looking at, and I, started, I went, right, everybody else in the room, do you care if this guy or this young boy wins or loses? And he went, no, no, no. Do you still love him anyway? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I went back to the kid. I was like, so is the pressure you're putting on yourself hmm an illusion is it invisible it doesn't it doesn't exist you're putting that on yourself your teammates don't care whether you win or lose mm. they hear they love you they support you no, no matter what mm. and it blew my mind that an eight-year-old kid is feeling that pressure that mm. self-imposed pressure because of the world we live in in terms of i've got to win for it's, x it's very binary like you win or you lose etc on on fucking instagram and i know we obviously give a bit of shit to the people like, oh you win or you learn you know but you know fair play you're gonna get bantered because you lost like but it's just banter um but yeah, in the world we now live in, it's very, very binary. And kids, even as young as eight now, sadly are probably exposed to TikTok, Instagram. You know, we couldn't safely pass comment about the parents and that relationship that they have with him as well. But there's also, you know, parents really wanting him to win, etc. And he's building these pressures up. But it's fantastic you had that moment with him because then hopefully he will remember that more responsive coaching style and he will go then to, to, to play and be more playful and, and then do better as a result. One thing I always bring analogies back to is rugby because it's a sport that I know really, really well from a performance and psychology perspective and players that are having fun will always destroy a team who are trying to be systemized and play a set piece that they're not necessarily comfortable with. They're just doing it because they're, they're being watched by the coaches yeah. and they're going to get a bollocking. And uh, there's a great uh, couple of guys who work in this space, like Steve Magnus and, 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 and Brad. And um, they talk about the fact if you've had like a really strict disciplinarian authoritative coach, you know, the whole, the drill sergeant approach, not only does it like negatively impact your performance on the day, it actually, they've found in NBA players, it negatively affects their performance for their whole career wow like it really fucks with your with your psyche because you've got that expectation planted that seed so when you've got coaches like yourself who are, who are able to be more responsive say well why are you feeling like this and use that five whys then he'll probably go on to be to be something great rather than fucking just just imploding wow. early doors then you know you get yourself um past white belt you, you're promoting up through the grades when did you start to think right i actually want to make a bit of a living out of this i want to make a gym i want to do this it was probably like late into purple belt and early brown belt and another thing for me is you know talking to other um, psychological topics like imposter syndrome mm. like <laughs> I'm kind of ruin it now I started a YouTube channel in 2011 or something like that mm. and I've never done anything with it I put the odd video on and I remember back then it used to be like oh you can't put technique videos on you know you're not an expert now everybody in the dog's doing it you know yeah. blue belts are putting technique videos on the stuff mm. and that back then it was like oh don't do that 
And I always had this view upon myself that I wasn't good enough. Mm. And, and it, it really took a lot of things later in my career f to realize that, you know, that's a limiting belief. Mm. Um, so I didn't really do any of that until late. And even so much as like in the early days, that's why I didn't compete much because I always assumed that everybody else was going to be amazing mm. and like elite level and I couldn't do it. And, and to the point in before Purple Belt, I didn't even do any big comps because it was like, well, I'll never win the British. Mm. I'll never win this regional comp. That's a really good regional comp. I'll never win that. So I just didn't bother competing. And then it, I got into like Purple Belt when I, I'd lived in Manchester for a period of time and I was training with good people. So I'm doing, I'm doing good here. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm able to win these en encounters. And then even still into like Brown Belt, until I won the Europeans, I'd never really truly grasped that I could do well. And, and, I th and what I realized is that I'd put so much stock into everybody else and not enough into myself mm. then my mindset mindset completely uh, shifted at that point is mm. that actually you know your your abilities no matter you know who you are are greater than you believe you know what i mean and if you match your intention and, and your mindset to what you're actually doing you can achieve great great things because mm. i was always like well i am working a job you know i gave myself a litany of reasons as to why i could never perform mm. And then got to the Europeans. And the, the funny thing with the Europeans when I won that was six weeks out, um, I was training in Birmingham and somebody broke my ribs. Mm. So, or like separated three intercostals. I, I did zero training before the Europeans. So six weeks, I was just on the elliptical, mm. just staying fit, staying fit. I'd like strap myself up on the morning. Now, I think the interesting thing is that because I, on the day I was like, okay, Here's, here's the um, script. There's no expectation for you because you've had a major injury. You've paid your flights, you've paid your entry. Let's just, you know, mm -hmm. turn up and have fun. And I remember on the day I felt really, really crap, like, oh, no energy, like my ribs were hurting. So then I just spent the hours prep before trying to get into a fun mindset. Mm -hmm. You know, um, if you've ever trained at Gripper, if you listen, or, or if you ever do come to train at Gripper, like we always, I've got such a massively wide music taste. We play like a lot of 70s disco, right? Disco's mm -hmm. great. You can't, you can't not feel yeah. happy when you're listening to disco. So I just put some disco on. I was like, oh, okay, you know, mm -hmm. having a bit of a move around. And so it was just like, right, here's the script. I don't feel great. Prep hasn't been any anywhere uh, away from my deal. Let's just do as good as we can do today. In, in, uh, I talk to myself in you know group terms, yeah. you know, my mind and me. Let's just do as good as we can do, put as much effort in as we can uh, we can to win and see what happens. In terms of performance, it's probably the best day I've ever had. Mm. Five five matches, five quick sub, uh, convincing submissions mm. with broken ribs, you know what I mean? And yeah. so, and after the first match, um, first couple of seconds in the match, I, I, uh, I ripped the guy's gi. So we had to run into the crowd. And I remember just sitting there thinking, Okay, all of that negativity about not having a reason to win. Mm. I'm now in the game, mm. so let's you know I'm gonna I'm gonna take this away. And I remember breaking the first guy's foot. The, the funny thing is, so toe hold, ripped the guy's foot to shreds. He didn't want to tap. Wheelchair took the guy off. Fuck's second it. match, second match. So that was a guy from London. Second match was a French dude, mm. really really tall. I remember him. Uh, something Clem uh, Clement. So a typical French name. Um, he and he was very complacent with his foot. I was like, dude, I'm gonna fuck this up. <laughs> Snapped his foot on wheelchair. I was like, oh my god. Third round was um, a Brazilian. Mm. Snapped his foot up again. And the, the funny thing is, with a brilliant Brazilian guy, it was amazing. So this is like quarterfinals. Brazilian guy the, the, in the crowd. Ooh, ooh, ah, ah. And I'm like, oh shit, he's got a lot. You know, a lot of fans, and they were like shouting and stuff. And I, got, and I like got his foot near my head and he was just like looking up into the crowd. And I remember thinking, mate, you're off your fucking tits. I'm gonna break your foot in half. And he was just looking and I'm slamming this on and uh, it's on my Instagram. So and he's like, ah, 
<laughs> um, like this. Did his foot, and then like my confidence grew like mad. Um, and so like the third round, yeah, the wheelchair came out again <laughs> to the point where I looked at the referee. I'm like, you're not gonna like DQ me for hurting three people in a row. I had this like weird moment. Mm. So yeah, three dudes have been wheeled off. And like I say, the belief that I'd gained just in that first match or two of all right, prep's not great, but we're here. Mm. Go to work, you know what I mean? And then realized I'm. I think I got to quarterfinals. I had two more matches after that. I was like, I'm gonna win this thing. Mm. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. You know what I mean? Um, fourth round, Brazilian guy. He was coached by an absolute legend from Brazil. I could, you know, and, I, and weirdly, just because I, uh, I suppose the the point I'm trying to make with this narrative is prep was not great, but if you can convince yourself of certain things mentally, mm. you can still outperform. You know what I mean? Yeah. I had all the reasons in the world why I wouldn't or couldn't or shouldn't win that day, mm. and I went and dis destroyed five guys. And in the final, it was it was clinical. Pulled guard. Um, got straight to his leg within about a minute and boom, knee bar. And that was yeah. it, you know what I mean? And then then it was a big release of emotions because like, bloody hell, all the reason why I couldn't win. Yeah. But because I'd squared away my brain, mm. um, I've got the performance of a lifetime. Yeah, yeah, absolutely fantastic, mate. And what I love to do in these podcasts is listen to these like real world demonstrations of, of the psychology and, and what it is that we talk about and what it is I, I spend a lot of time covering. And we have these things called like external interferences. And it's basically deep down below, you've got that core limiting belief of maybe I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy. So your mind is never going to give you in such terminology, in such like obvious vernacular. So it just comes up with these, these interference plays of like, oh, well, you know, I haven't trained because I'm injured and oh, I work a full-time job. These guys are full-time athletes. And it comes up with always reasons to once again protect the ego. But once you're able to surrender to that as you did, well, I'm injured, like there's no expectation, fuck it, let's just go and find out what happens. You fully surrender to the moment, you're allowed to have fun because you're taking that pressure off yourself and as a result, yeah, you've fucking paralyzed three people, mate, well done. <laughs> unfortunate, unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, interesting actually, the, one of the best pieces of advice I've ever heard, and, and it's it sounds very unmotivating, but it isn't. It was um, my coach, Adam, his, his coach, um, apparently said to somebody like, Outside of this room you're in right now, nobody gives a shit what you're doing. Mm. It's only you that makes it a really important thing that, oh my God, I've got, I've got all this angst because of I've got to compete and got to win and got to show people on Instagram. You know, the world's going to go on tomorrow. And I think when you realize that, that you can accept the worst possible result mm. and still life will go on. And you can, and you take that pressure from off your shoulders. You are then more free to do your absolute best. Um, and I think, you know, we've spoke over um, internet before, but like about arousal and things like that. Mm. And I think if I bring this one back to my early days about like mental performance, I remember when I started to get more serious about competing, I thought that automatically more energy, more aggression, mm. more arousal was equal better performance. So I went through Purple Belt, you know, I always listened to metal and things like that. I remember like I beat a competition listening to Metallica full blast for two hours before, looking at everybody like, you fucking fighting me, I'm gonna fight you, you know what I mean? Like having this outrageous amount of aggression. Mm. And I remember my performances then were absolutely dog shit. Yeah. Because I was so pumped up and, and like I said, to the point where several matches, I was so hyper stimulated beforehand, I felt like a passenger in the moment. Mm. You know what I mean? It was kind of like, this person's moving. I have no control over proceedings. And, the, and, I, and almost like a, my brain had gone so far that I became third person about the the event. Mm. And so uh, fully like dissociated from it. Yeah. Mm. Like weirdly, like my memories of those matches in them days, I can watch my watch the match rather than through my own eyes. Yeah. And like I said, and then I realized pretty quickly during that, that um, my, 
you know, more is not better. Mm. And I think the culmination was, um, I remember I, was, I had a match, um, he's a black belt now, um, up north. And I remember I was, I, I think I was winning on points in the gi and I was like, great, going good. It got me in a footlock. And I've only ever been finished by footlocks a few times. That's my thing. And it was really funny, his, his accent, because he's, he's got a strong Newcastle accent. And it was a minute to go and I was just like, you're not going to tap. Fuck it. I'm just going to, yeah, I'll let him break me here. Something like that. And I remember he's, he grabbed my foot and he's really going for it. And I'm like, this is killing. I can hear it starting to break. And in this thick uh, Geordie accent, yeah, fucking foot's making some queer sounds, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, shit. Ah, and, he, and, he, and he tapped me out. Um, and so, that, like I said, I realised that because I, I, I was winning, but then because of this like hyper-ridiculous mindset, mm. I'd not clocked any of the things he was setting up on me. Mm. Um, and, it, and, it, and it completely ruined me. And, and, and that, that was the culminating thing got to change your mindset yeah yeah 100 percent. and i remember studying years ago in elite sport like that arousal curve that bell-shaped curve of, of exactly where we want to be and then touching back on your point about having 70 disco in the gym i guess that's you just bringing it left on that bell curve you know because when you are new and everything feels like a test everything feels like oh, i've got a round with that that guy and he's bigger than me and i'm a white belt and he's a blue belt and he's going to fucking absolutely smash my I don't know if I can say that, but he's gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna really hurt me. Um, so we need to just kind of calm things down a little bit. Uh, I used to be the same in rugby. I, I, for for a long time, I was the guys that right, I'm gonna go out, I'm gonna fucking end someone's career, I'm gonna put massive fucking hits in. Um, and actually, it was my coach at the time uh, when I was at university level who, who pulled me, and he saw the amount of pressure he to put on myself. You know, fucking pacing around in the changing room, all that sort of stuff. And he's like, "Don't try and be Superman, just be a man." Yeah. So I was like, oh, okay. So I went out, did my job, started listening to like house music before and out, and again, just get my energy high, but then had to have fun for a ball. Yeah. And again, like in that final university, played the best that I'd ever played. Still shite, but like I'd still played the best for me that yeah, I, I yeah. was going to play. That, but that's the game, though, right? Yeah. You know, we're not all trying to, we're not all capable of being Lionel Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo, so, yeah. and stuff like that. It's about, it, and that's the thing I realized was that the the game is be the absolute best version of yourself possible. Yeah. And actually, one piece of advice touching on that arousal curve that I always talk to my, uh, my guys about is that you got to realize, try to look at yourself and who you are. Like I'm very naturally highly strong, you know. Mm -hmm. Always trying to be busy, never sleep too much, always mm -hmm. got something going on. So I'm always to the right of the bell curve, high energy. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's very easy for me to slip down in performance if I try to raise my energy any further. So. Yeah, by realizing that, like you say, I'm trying to bring myself to left, um, listen to disco, just be happy. Mm. Sometimes it's your classical music. Mm. You know, I don't normally listen to those things, but that's an effort for me to try and bring myself more to the highest performance point of that bell curve. You know, there's gonna be some people listening who, white belts who are hyper laid back. Mm. You know, competing is such an alien thing to do, getting up and pumped up for something. You're gonna need to do the opposite. You're gonna need to do what I was doing wrong, listening to the Metallica, mm. trying to force yourself to mean mug people, you know, mm and get yourself up that curve. And I think it's one of the simplest things people could do for comp day is just making an assessment. Where is my energy levels? Is it on the low side? Is it on the high side? And you know, and you need adjust accordingly is what I would say, adjust accordingly. If you're feeling flat guys, you do what you need to fucking do mm. to get yourself you know, up in energy levels. That might be hard workout or warm up. That might be listening to certain trigger music or something like that. Yep. And just get yourself into the right area. Yeah, and I suppose taking that a level further, you start talking about anchoring. I was physical anchoring is a good one. So, good piece of advice for any white belts out there. There's going to be a time when you you come to the gym and you've had a good day at work. You know, you didn't get earache off the misses for coming to the gym that night. You've rolled and you're like, fuck yeah, rolled really good tonight. Got some good stuff off and you feel great. And what I always say to to guys is that rather than being a passion passenger and everything you do when you come to the gym you know you need to set intention and the times when you've had that good event is like right got to remember this moment you know mm. 
take a couple of minutes after the end of session to try and put as much color in your memory. So, you know, if I've had a good night, I'd be like, okay, what was the music? Mm. How did I feel? You know what I mean? What did my body feel like? Um, and, and try to put as much intention into remembering that moment. And then for me personally, what I talk about physical anchoring, I, I do the same process at the start of every match. I'll shake your hand, mm. I walk away and I'll do two jumps. And what I've always tried to do is that I link that that physical movement to those times when I feel fantastic in the gym and I'm just happy, mm. no pressure, firing on all cylinders. And I find that I can make those two items um, almost congruent and you know come yeah. together in that in that um, in the, yeah feeling good. You know, what I mean, I'm no pressure. I'm going to compete, but I'm I'm ready to go and I'm ready to do the best version of my game that I can mm. um, by just anchoring in that moment from how you feel. Yeah, anchoring's immeasurably powerful and it's great to see again, like real world application of that. I get my guys inside the program through anchoring in a number of different ways because I've done it myself to, to great effect. Like in business, for an example, there's times when like shit's just going wrong. Like numbers are not in your favor. Like it just seems like you know, there's market volatility, any, anything like that. So uh, I encourage my guys to have like an album on their phone of like uh, of momentous occasions in their life, whether it was make, closing a fucking a high ticket sale, whether it was like doing a certain thing or like just something in their phone, like an album. And when the chips are down, you feel like you're not good enough. It can't happen for you. And you got all that, those limiting beliefs becoming very, very loud yeah we want to tackle those but in the first instance just give yourself evidence of like who you are what you've done what you're capable of the same with music ironically the music that i often use to bring myself to a state of like happiness and less arousal is uh girls you want to have fun you know with cindy lopner oh mate love <laughs> yeah. it yeah great absolute banger and a few lads laughed at me when i said that i was like if you listen to that song and don't sing you are a straight up fucking liar like, yeah <laughs> you're an absolute liar um you're in the back, car on your own yeah like that's <laughs> so like back from uh rugby days that's what i used to use it to make me laugh a little bit and then when I went into to bodybuilding, you know, that's a, a place where you can get very anxious and put a lot of pressure on yourself and you think that everyone cares when actually no one gives a shit. So when I'd go and do my steps every day, I'd put that on because it would like lighten the mood a little bit. Um, and then I also use smell anchoring as well. Oh, okay. I, I use smell anchoring uh, to basically initiate uh, initiate um, cognition and focus and concentration. So when you're in those um, those states, and obviously you've got to do the inner work here, and I think that's probably one of the high contour takeaways people can take from this is don't ever leave anything to chance. Like do the work prior to that you get experience from reflecting on what's happened to you and then like looking to, to reiterate that but when you've had moments and you've journaled on it or you've thought about it and you've sat with it okay when am i at my best when i've got like i've been into what we describe as flow state like really great condition hyper productive okay i'm going to think about that and i'm going to introduce a smell and you can just get like um what they call i've got like a vaporizer on my desk and you have the same one, mine's like a sage and thyme or whatever it is, it's pretty nice. Turn that bad boy on and then you do that a couple of times and then next time you go into the office and you feel you know, a bit cloudy headed, a bit fuzzy headed, can't really be bothered, don't wanna be there, energy's low, rather than just hyper caffeinating, which again will send you over that arousal curve and you just won't get anything done, you'll just be a jittery ball of nerves. Bang that on, spend a few minutes inhaling that and then let it take you back to the time when you've been really cognizant, really focused, really productive and then start tapping away, you'll get through that frustration, within 10 minutes you're into the zone and you've got like a two hour flow block done then from from that smell anchoring um the same is also true with like calm with arousal whatever it is it's actually my mental performance coach who introduced me to that at an event and yeah it's really really powerful stuff to anchor yourself in that i've way. never tried that but that yeah. makes i suppose it's a an extension of what i've I spoke about well, that's amazing um I'll, I'll definitely incorporate that but i think in jiu-jitsu terms the the thing that amazes me the most is the lack of these sorts of um, techniques. The amount of coaches I see, and it really gets my back up, that's just like, just train hard. Yeah, just train, train hard. Hard rounds. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's like, oh, great, we're just, yeah. we're just gonna train hard and then you'll be fine. Yeah. And, and I was thinking about this the other day, it's like, okay, 
So that's like saying, the analogy that came to my mind is like a rally driver. Mm. That's like a rally driver just, all right, I'm just going to go on, um, I don't know, a donut and just, and just drive in a circle, train really hard. Yeah. Not looking at anything to do with the course, the, the turns, mm. the conditions. The yeah, I mean, there's none of those additional variables that are going to be directly impactful on your performance. Yeah. And so the coaches that are leaving that stuff on the table by just saying, well, lads, you've done hard, hard rounds in the gym. You've not looked at who you, your opponent is. You've not tried to get your mind in the best sense possible. Mm. There's so much that you're leaving on the table just by having that closed mindset yeah. um, or closed opinions almost. It really, really frustrates, frustrates me. And that's why I've always tried to be, you know, helping them prepare physically, mentally, and spiritually, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because somebody who's prepared in those fields mm. is going to be significantly better than an absolute physical monster mm. that's mentally not great. And I'm terrified of losing. And, you know, and the thing is, I've been there, I've had the matches, and that's one of the, that's something, you know, one of the addictive things of jiu-jitsu for me. Submissions are great, and having a bit of a battle is great. There's been matches where I've gone up against somebody incredibly dangerous in, in like, jiu-jitsu terms, who's in fantastic shape, mm. trains full-time, so objectively better than me, but I can tell they haven't prepped mentally mm. because as soon as I put up a bit of resistance and I feel them starting to break. Yeah. And that is one of the most enjoyable moments in all of jiu-jitsu. You know, people ask me, like, what's some of your most exciting things? And it's when I've, I've gone up against somebody tough and I've broken them. And it's not broken them in terms of, like, I've hurt the knee. Mm. It's I've just passed the guard. Yeah. And I feel them f drop, you know what yeah. I mean? Be, and, and that's and that's purely down to their ill preparedness in in mental terms. They've not they've not put the work in to get themselves in the right spot. And all I've done is given them a bit of difficulty, mm. and they're out of the game. And, and I'm obviously very outspoken about mental preparation. I'm an advocate for doing this, and it comes down to self belief. And I'm actually a little bit countercultural here. I believe that self belief harms a lot of people, because if you look at the old school mentality surrounding toughness. It's one that you will win, believe in yourself, you will overcome no matter what you're going to win. So yeah, but sooner or later, you're going to come up against an opponent, uh, an adverse event or something that's going to rock that belief. And if you're finding that out for the first time when you've when you've got someone who can break both your legs, passing your guard, you're in for a fucking bad day, son. So like you need to, to have the mental strength, the fortitude and just the courage to sit with that and say, right, well, what happens if things don't don't go my way? Like, how am I going to respond to that? And basically war game that. And people perceive that it is, it's a weakness to consider that you could lose. Well, it's not. It's just absolute honesty. Like, there's a lot of things in this match, in life, that I can't control. A lot of unknown unknowables. But as long as I trust myself and I can rely on myself to do my best, when that happens, then I fucking back myself. I had to, you know, without making it about me with the MDS. A lot of things happen on that race that you are completely outside of your control. And I saw a lot of people giving a narrative for six months of, you're going to smash this, you're going to dominate, you're going to beast it. I was like, I don't know that I am. Like, all I can do is just say that I have prepared to the very best of my ability. I didn't miss a single training session for seven months. I've given it everything. Now, if I go on the event and something happens, like the first night there was a really bad wind, like sandstorm, ripped a big fucking steel peg out the floor, hit some chick in the face, broke Holy her orbital shit. socket. She's going home. Never got to the start line. She probably trained harder than me or as hard as me. And she could have said, I'm going to smash it, but she didn't know that was going to happen. So then how would she respond to that? So there were so many unknowables and the same with jujitsu, same with life. I said, right, like, how has my preparation been? Have I really stared down the demons that are making me feel like I'm not good enough? Have I really prepared myself for the fact that, right, this might not go my way and how I'm going to respond in that moment, in that situation? And that's how the best athletes, the best entrepreneurs, the best professionals, the best rugby players, the best anybody in the world goes into that. It's not this old school mentality of I'm going to be tough and I'm just going to grizz it out. No, 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 like have the, the strength to look at the fact, like what do we do if, if it's not going our way? 
what do we do if there's a minute on the clock and the dude's got my fucking back? Like, am I going to panic? I'm going to say, oh, I, I fucking, I fucked it. Or am I going to start like breaking it down, um, going through like an OODA loop process and then starting to work my way out of that situation? That, I think you've probably hit the nail on the head. That's what separates elite from good mm. um, is having that ability to have setbacks and, and recover from that. You know what I mean? Um, I, the way I try to tick that box is through visualizing. Mm. Um, and, and like I say, is that people have got, they expect your path to success to be linear, mm. just straight upwards. You know, 45 degrees right, su super smooth. And it, and, it, and it certainly is not that way. You know what I mean? Um, so I do a lot of that. You know, I visualize my good moves in the in the run up to a, a match. You know, what, where can I win? What is the context where I can win? But also, yeah, you outside of the um, training room or the competition mat is, what do I do when I'm, I'm in a bad position? You know what I mean? And the the mantra I always use is just one percent better. Yeah. It, so smashed out bottom bottom mount. I'm gassed to hell. Arms are up in the air. Right. You know, this is probably as bad as it's gonna get. Okay rather than, oh shit, and start to panic and getting tapped, is right, okay, can I get my arms in, right? That's that's the first priority. If you just, rather than looking at the problem as being this wide, mm. you know, focusing actually into a, a small, influenceable element of that, you know, and, and build yourself out of the problem. Mm. That's what I really try to do from a visualization point of view. And even, you can even practice that, you know, the thing is, now I'm 16 years deep, you know, I'm a second degree black belt. It's harder for me to get those very, very difficult moments in the gym. So I, you know, actively put myself into those bad spots. Mm. You know, I'll have a crazy round with somebody, wait till I'm gassed. And of course you don't want to do this, but you're gassed out and you're like, right, I'll let them get them out now. Yeah. Let them put me in a real shit position where I, I'm forced to develop my resilience mm. and to um, to work, you know, just 1% better my way out of the problem. Mm. And actually... I think that that mindset or that method from jiu-jitsu has helped my corporate career. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. You know, like that's the transference. It's a, there's a lot of platitudes on social media that jiu-jitsu changes your life, etc. If you're not reflecting on it, as you and I both know, there's a lot of pricks who do jiu-jitsu. It will always be. It'll always be <laughs> Cult leading weirdos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they will always be self-indulgent cunts. And that's just the way it is until they look inward. But, you know, if you are reflective and interoceptive and you know, looking for these developmental lessons as you are, and as most people generally are, like it's advanced problem solving under extreme pressure in short time parameters. How is that not going to be a transference? How is that never going to be to your benefit? It's always going to be advantageous to you. The one thing that always makes me laugh is, yeah, having, cultivating that mindset. The amount of times when shit goes wrong, mm. you know, um, so my day job, I run a factory, okay? Mm. Uh, we, we make parts, shit will go wrong. 100%, you know, commitment that things will always go wrong. The amount of times people are like, well, that's it. Job's fucked now, as yeah. we always say. Job's fucked. Um, you know, we're not going to get things done. And I was like, right. And in extreme terms, that what I always say to my teams in my day job is, I don't care what the plan is to succeed. If that plan, you tell me that we need to land a jumbo jet on the head of a needle to win, fine. That's my job as, as leader to, to facilitate that. Mm. My expectation of you, team, is that you come to me with a plan to succeed, irrespective of the context. Mm. You know what I mean? It could be so bad. You know what I mean? It, well, we've got a one in a million chance to get up. But right, that's that's that that's the way we're going to execute out of it and work mm. our way through that. And yeah, and like I say, that back to the whole competing in sport thing. That's another thing people don't do. It and it's you know, well, I've trained hard, great. Mm. But if you've not reflected on the fact that you could have difficulties, challenges, and difficulties in your journey to success. You're leaving things on the table and you're going to be, like you say, your shit's going to come undone. Somebody puts you there who is equally as well prepared and you've not walked your mind through that. Mm. Or, you know, the best way to put it, if you're not able to look for frames of positive reference in the darkest of circumstances, mm. 
you're going to be left in that dark room. 100%. And it's not going to be external, especially in something like jiu-jitsu when you are often going to be, as a lot of it is based on feel. It's going to be very, very internalized. And we use a methodology called if-then planning. Um, and it's like, if this happens, then I do that. If this happens, then I do that. And that's a really advantageous framework to be doing for jiu-jitsu, for any sport, for life. It's like, okay, well, what if this happens? I actually get us a lot, again, to touch on the MDS. If I was running and like, my heart rate was higher than I wanted it to be in a training run, I'd be like, oh, what, what if it's something to the MDS and I, I, I can't finish? Then run slower, dickhead. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. like, fucking, it's that simple. <laughs> oh, well, what if he gets my back? Then start working your back escape. Like, always break, oh, what if he starts putting his mission on? Then start working his mission. Like, so breaking it down um, and spending time, whether you're driving to the gym or probably more, like, better is driving home from the gym after a session. If someone else just fucking tied you in a knot, debrief. think about well, what happened, like debrief yourself, like, well, how did it get to that point? So if this happens again, then what did I do? If this happens again, what did I do? And oftentimes, you know, if you're rolling people who, who are more advanced than you, hopefully they've got a level of, of security where you can say, mate, like, you just fucking asshole me. Like, can you talk me through how I can escape from that mm. better? And then begin to debrief on and begin to visualize it. And then next time, just trust the systems. That's one thing I learned from Jiu Jitsu is like, there's, there's always a system in place and there's always like a, a golden rule. And it often seems really counterintuitive but like you do it and like, oh, that fucking actually worked. Like if I turn my head that way, it takes it off and it gives me enough space to work from that. So I really like that framework. Do you, do you find you've obviously achieved something great by doing MDS. Do you find people's perception of who you are and what your mindset was is massively different to you, the reality? I, I, you know, I'll, I'll make a guess that people look at you like, well, you're a beast and you're an absolute mental, you know, um, a solidly mental person. It must have, you know, yeah, great. I'm just going to go there and do it. Mm. Whereas I'm sure the narrative in your brain is that, oh, this is going to be challenging. This is going to be, you know, put me yeah. some dark moments. I actually wrote like an open letter. And I think I sent out an email and there's one that I didn't because it was so vulnerable. And I was like, I'm writing this because I've got no idea what's about to happen. Like I have no idea when I'm coming victorious or if I'm going to get flown home early or if I'm going to get fucking cream in. You know, as some people did, unfortunately. Uh, I've got absolutely no idea what, what happens and all I'm going to be able to do is just say to myself, right, Marky boy, like, I trust you. Like you, you've given it the berries. You've, you've literally left no stone unturned, quote unquote. And that's how I speak to myself. I know you say you say we, but to me, I speak to myself as Mark. I'm like, come on, Marky boy. Like just fucking give it a little bit more. You're safe, mate. Keep going. And that's how I break it down. Um, and yeah, there's definitely a disconnect between how I feel and, and how people perceive me. But there's actually a photo that in existence of the morning before the first day, me laid in the sand with my fucking old school headphones in um, doing breath work just trying to calm my nervous system because I was fucking shitting it, mate. Absolutely shitting it, you know. You see the, that that big start line on YouTube and you watch it, you don't know how you're going to feel. Then you see it happening for real. You know, there's 260 kilometers of desert in front yes. of you, the hardest terrain on earth, and you're fucking shitting it. I'm normally a big advocate for using caffeine for neural excitation. I had one coffee in a week because I was just that fucking like white. Yeah, you're, you're there all yeah, the time. Yeah, and you think, oh, you must sleep really well every night. It's like, nah, you just stare at the felt thinking, fucking, I got to do it again tomorrow. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> um, so it's, it's about like finding a way to have fun and that locker room mentality was, was vital. You know, I had some great guys in the tent with me um, and was able to decompress that way. And probably the same, you know, in, in, in a gym, in a jiu-jitsu gym or any gym, if you have that locker room mentality, that's stood the test of time for a reason because it gives us the capacity to decompress and laugh about it and just fucking vent and let steam off. But then also know your processes. You know, the fact that I was doing breath work and a meditation um, was no accident. I'd had to do that for the months leading up because I was waking up, you know, I had a weekend frequently where I'd do 220 miles back to back at the Yorkshire Free Peaks twice, like round. You know, you're always worried about what if I get injured, what if I can't do it, all that sort I've of stuff. I've done that once, that's <laughs> enough for me, mate. So like, you're always dealing with that. And you know, I think any elite performer is the same. You know, obviously a common, a mutual friend of, of, of you and I is someone like Staz. In his book, he talks about that. 
and this is what I love is that often the people who are leading the charge and are at the very like the tip of the spear with with performance in any facet of life are doing this stuff because it feels natural to them and then like sheer mortals like like myself are then trying to unpack that and say well how can I get to a level of performance by doing what you've just demonstrated so yeah the fact that we're using meditation and, and anchoring and segmenting and all these mental skills is not by accident because people like yourself and people like Styles have proven it can be fucking done and it works and we're, we are all mortal like we're absolutely all fucking mortal when I look at amazing people for years I had this belief that they are god status you know what I mean talking to stars and, and you know you almost imagine special forces people are like oh they're all going to be six foot six yeah. 100, 100 kilos Talking like chuck norris yeah yeah exactly <laughs> you you put them on this like uh, not to say staz is disappointing or yeah <laughs> no he well, is well saying, sure but i am as well so it's all right yeah uh, <laughs> makes three of us buddy yeah. but yeah i mean when, when you've actually started to meet these people it's more about not that they're top one percent you know in physical terms it's there where they are top one percent you know what i mean and the, the infectious thing about somebody like staz is that you know, they are very down to it. They are very laid back, but they've got rigorously um, high standards of what they expect themselves to do. Mm. And, you know, and from what what I've seen with Staz is that, you know, he does expect, you know, things to go right, to go wrong, you know, left and right, up and down. It's not going to be a linear path, but, you know, he's always setting his intention in the future and moving towards something. Mm. That's what I find really, you know, exciting and infectious to be around is when you talk to these mm. people. Every single time I visit through Dark, I mean, you know, do, I go there in a jiu-jitsu capacity, but it's always like... He's always telling me what the next plan is. Always, you always leave that place with like massive energy. Oh yeah, like I can do more. Like, there's lo there's so much more to go out. There's so much, and you know, if you look at, at him as an individual and what he's been able to facilitate, it's very easy to kind of not look at the evidence that you know, been one of the best hero operators in the world, recommended, uh, well, sorry, decorated as such, and now grown arguably like the most exclusive like outdoor clothing brand in the world from nothing over the course of like five years. It's like. The the, of, it fucking works. The yeah. amount of people I see wearing through it, I'm up and down the motorway at the minute, and I'm just like... Everywhere, Literally, yeah. there, there was a guy the other day, I'd, I'd literally just left through dark that yeah. morning, and I was in the service station, a dude's got like full through dark rig on, yeah. and I was just like, wow, it's crazy how, how much yeah. they, they've grown, but yeah. And and it's it's mindset, it's mindset, it's mindset. I th I really do think that if you get your mindset right first, a lot of your physical, the, the, the bit, and you know, your spirit and your um, physical performance will follow in behind that. Yeah. Like I say, yeah, people like tier one operators have got that down to a T. They get there because of the mind, not because, yeah. I suppose you hear it so many times, people do things like selection. You can have uber athletes mm. and they, like I say, cream in week one. Yeah, and we say this to, to often to guys in the program that talent can often be people's undoing. Um, you know, you'll see people in sport, you see people in life who've always been extraordinarily talented, so they've never had to dig out blind, they've never had to work and dig deep. And then you put them in an environment where everyone's going to have to to dig deep and find something, and they've never had to do that. And again, it's the same as the, the jiu-jitsu analogy of earlier. If you're finding out for the first time that you're that you're vulnerable there, that's that's why you're going to break and when you're going to crumble. As opposed, to if you've got someone with, like who has talent and then also has the capacity or the inclination or the willingness to continually find themselves in an uncomfortable position and then push through it. That's when you're getting these one percenters. That's when you're getting your stazers and your fucking you, you guys like that, um, as opposed to talent inherently can can actually be people's uncoming, their shortcomings, because they just get lazy. Like they rely on the talent. I think that is a really really good point, and I've realised that seeking those difficult moments or you know even painful moments, like mm. over the last couple of years, I've I've really pushed that to the extreme. Like I've never been very good at running. My my physique is not conducive towards good running. Mm. Uh, so most I've ever done is like 5k. Mm. I'll do a fast 5k. I'll do a slow 5k. Mm. 
Um, and I remember at um, middle of COVID, obviously gyms were kind of like, yeah, we we were shut. Um, <laughs> gyms were closed. We're closed a bit. Um, <laughs> and I was at work, and there was a guy who was banging to run, and he, um, somebody challenged me to do a marathon. He's like, well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take you a year if you don't run. It's going to take you a year to get ready for that. I'm like, fucking Roger, mate. Okay. And I remember after three weeks, I just, um, no, sorry, after a week, I just went and did a half. Bearing in mind, I'd, I'd only done 5K. And after three weeks, I'd, I'd gone and done the marathon. Yeah. And I get, you know, I think I did it in like 4.30. And the the bit I realized is, again, it's all mindset. I got to like mile 19 in the marathon. I was like, bearing in mind, I'd barely trained for it. I was like, this is fucking easy. I was doing nine and a half minute miles. I got to mile 20 then. Oh, shit. And then my, basically the wheels came off and I was like, my, my legs ceased to function. And then I real realized in that moment endurance is not about fitness it's endurance because it's about up here can you endure the pain you know i mean and it was the last 10k then that it was properly digging deep and you know what and i did it just because i had that little bit of a competitive pang in in the office at work but the feeling of that afterwards was like right that was so addictive and even like jumping out of planes Mm. always i've been like over the years apprehensive about flying and stuff and it was always like, why the fuck you would jump out of a plane for any reason? Mm. Then um, Missy's got me that for Christmas and it was great. And now afterwards, mm. I'm very happy I've done that. I'd like to do that more. You yeah. know what I mean? I want to, And flying's cool. And it's about whatever it is in your life that you've got an element of apprehension or fear in that locker about. Mm. Go and do that thing mm. because the power on the other side of that moment is so transformative. It's it's a special thing, and like I say, I'm very much addicted to trying to do more and more difficult things that scare the shit out of me. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. And that's probably a perfect note on which to close this. Uh, I certainly feel like we could have gone on for another fucking five hours. Um, but yeah, mate, it's been absolutely a pleasure. I think we'll definitely do this again in the future because there's so much left to unpack there. We haven't spoken about the current or the future. But I just want to say thank you for coming on, mate. It's been thank incredible you, to chat to you. Really enjoyable. That hour has absolutely flown by. And hopefully you guys as listeners enjoy it. Thank you, mate. Thank you, brother.